Hello, everyone. This is a reading with Rando's presentation of A Grief Observed. This is part six, installment number six. You may notice something that I'm tempted not to mention, but we are jobless today. Uh, we will try to do our best in his absence. He wishes everyone well, and we'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the mantle of reading, at least in this first round, and pick up um, the last reading that was done in the previous episode, and then we'll go into the next piece. So when last we left off, the reading was, we both knew this. I had my miseries, not hers. She had hers, not mine. The end of hers would be the coming of age of mine. We were setting out on different roads. This cold truth, this terrible traffic regulation. You, madam, to the right, you, sir, to the left, is just the beginning of the separation, which is death itself. And this separation, I suppose, waits for all. I have been thinking of H and myself as peculiar, peculiarly unfortunate in being torn apart. But presumably all lovers are. She once said to me, even if we both died at exactly the same moment as we lie here side by side, it would be just as much a separation as the one you're so afraid of. Of course, she didn't know any more than I do, but she was near death near enough to make a good shot. She used to quote, loan into the alone. She said it felt like that. And how immensely improbable that it should be otherwise. Time and space and body were the very things that brought us together. The telephone wires by which we communicated. Cut one off, or cut both off simultaneously. Either way, mustn't the conversation stop? I didn't do my uh, prep work, so I have not written any notes, nor have I uh, read this. <laughs> Probably for years it's been since I've read this. Yeah, that's a difficult one to comment on just because like it says, she she didn't know any more than I do. I mean, we really, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember being a child and thinking about getting, say, getting married and then um, what that relationship would look like after death, even if you both think you're, you know, quote, in heaven or in the same place. It's like, it feels, it does feel like it will be different. And it's hard to, it's hard to reconcile the loss of a connection like that. I don't know. It feels like a, um, feels like a very materialist question mm -hmm. to me there at the very end. Either way, must the conversation stop? It's like if we're cut off from our bodies, uh, maybe it's not necessarily a materialist <laughs> question because uh, bodies is not something that is um, outside of the scope of a, of a Christian 
frame. Um, without the resurrection, it certainly, you know, seems like everything has to stop and stop forever. Mm -hmm. But with the idea of the resurrection in place, it seems like um, the conversation is, is temporarily um, syncopated. Um, so I don't know. That's just, it's just a thought. Yeah. And reading this, it, well, I think I get what H is saying and that even if we were going to die side by side, there's still a, there's still a, um, a sense in which you're both going to go through that tunnel alone, right? You're not going to go through it together. Exactly. You'll find out what's on the other side, one way or the other, but you're going to go through it alone. Mm -hmm. Like even if you go through it at the exact same time. Yeah. And so I, th I, I think I get what she's saying. It, it, rem it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you guys have ever read uh, Pilgrim's Progress um, yeah. by yeah. Bunyan, but it reminds me at the end of Pilgrim's Progress where Christian, you know, he's crossing the river, right? Which is supposed to symbolize like death and going to the other side. And he's scared and he's like struggling with it. And he's Christian and he sees all these other people kind of uh, that weren't, Christians not struggling or like kind of diving headlong into uh, you know the river and that kind of stuff and they didn't have the same kind of like fear of what's on the other side of this that the Christian did mm. and so I, I wonder I, I don't know I, I it reminds me of that that kind of aloneness that fear of like I'm not really sure what's on the other side but I know I know enough to be afraid of it um, like it's kind of like that fear of Aslan and Narnia and that kind of stuff that like, there's a fear there. Like there's a kind of a holy fear of what I'm going to get crossing, like going through this tunnel and that kind of stuff. And even if you're dying at the same time as your lover, you know, or whoever, uh, you're, you're still going to go there alone in some sense. It's not going to be, you're not going to be holding hands going through that. Um, and so I, I never thought of it like that, but I think I, I, I get what she's saying is that, there's there's still a certain like solitude in crossing that river that um that fear of of christian reminded me of um i can't remember if i've ever shared this before um but a, almost a year ago now i had a hernia surgery and they had to they had to give me general anesthetic and put me under and, you know, with any surgery, especially, I guess, ones where you're getting general anesthetic, there's always a possibility that you won't wake up. And so I just remember, you know, just kind of dealing with that possibility, you know, kind of the same possibility that you deal with when you get on an airplane. You're just like, well, there's a chance <laughs> that I'm not, I'm not landing safely, right? Uh, it won't be a safe crash <laughs> um, or a controlled crash. So. I remember distinctly now going into that surgery before they were about to put me under where I was alone for a few minutes. And I remember just, I guess, praying or talking to God, you know, in my head and just saying, when I'm out, can you, would you just show me something? Would you just let me see something, you know, not like in the room, but like just, I guess, reveal something to me, communicate with me in some way when I'm down that I can come back with. 
so I remember being, you know, the, the anesthesiologist uh, comes in and he starts getting me prepped and get me ready. And then he ultimately, they, they, they wheel me into the OR. I go into the OR and they lay me out and he says, all right, I've got your cocktail, you know, all mixed up. I'm going to start having you count down, you know, from 10. And I start counting down. I remember being in the room. I remember seeing everything. And then I remember him counting me down. And then the next thing that I remember is actually um, the, the, the actual thing that I remember next is just abruptly being woken up from the surgery and having some, having some pain and, um, you know, people who have experienced having, you know, their cavity open will also can probably identify with the feeling of having air that's reached inside of your body and is kind of stuck in there and you have to work it out. And it's a very difficult, it's a really tough pain. It's like, it's almost like these yeah. little stabs of pain. Um, and they just, there's no way to get rid of them. You just kind of have to move around and they work out over the course of like two days and it's, it's pretty agonizing. But the point is, I just remember waking up and feeling really cold and feeling very anxious. And I, I don't recall there being anything when I was out of just nothingness. And so you mentioning, you know, Christian going across death and being anxious and worried that, oh, what am I going to face? And maybe his was more, I can't remember that particular part of the book, but maybe his was more, what's it going to be like to face God? Is it going to be worse than I think? My fear, my doubt, whatever it is, is what if there really is just that nothingness after I die? What if that's all there is? Maybe that was my foretaste. Maybe that's all that God is showing me. And as I'm talking about this right now, there's, there's another thought that, um, crossed my consciousness path as I was doing things around the house this morning. Um, and it, it's almost like this sense of we don't get to know what's going to happen and how things are going to turn out because that will taint how we live. It will taint the decisions that we make. It will taint, I guess, just how, how we act. Um, how we treat people, how we treat circumstances, how we respond to different things. It's almost like, it's almost like God is saying, if you knew you wouldn't, you wouldn't be who you were. I'll be right back. One second. Sorry. Oh, okay. Someone's at the door. <laughs> Does that mean, do we want to, oh, right, we got it. You yeah, got it. I got it. Yeah. Did that, does that make any sense? Cause it's not, it's not mm -hmm. coming out as clearly as it seemed when it was in my head earlier today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally get what you're saying for sure. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess that's one of the things I've always wondered about in, in that allegory is the, the non, like the non-Christians, why were they so confident in mm. crossing a river? Right. Yeah. Where, I mean, some of them I'm sure were confident in, you know, uh, kind of, they, they were going to, they thought that they were going to approach God kind of like the, the people that approach Jesus. And he says, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. Right. They're, they're overconfident in their standing before God. maybe, mm -hmm. And so they're, they're confident in, in swimming across the, uh, the river. And then some people, maybe, maybe that nothingness, you know, could be a respite for them um mm -hmm. as well. Like they, they don't fear the nothingness as much because like this meaningless, Life is kind of like what Jordan Peterson always talks about. Like there's, you know, 
sometimes you wonder if there's any positive meaning to this life, but you really never wonder whether or not there's suffering in this life. Mm -hmm. And at least the nothingness will lack suffering, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always wonder whether or not, like, why it is that, um, that Bunyan described the, the non-Christian swimming that river so kind of confidently or nonchalantly and not struggling with it in the same way that the Christian did. Um, and I think that maybe there, there could be a lot of reasons for that. But I mean, every time, it, it, I mean, it's funny, every time that I've, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of surgeries. I was born with club foot um, in my left foot and I wasn't supposed to be able to walk. So I had, I've had probably a half a dozen surgeries on my, my, my left leg um, and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's exactly what you're describing. There's no, it's a dreamless sleep that you're mm, in. Yep. There, there's nothing there. Um, there's no memory of it. There's nothing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I think that's a lot of people's picture of what death is like. It's just the kind of like that fading into nothingness. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's comforting for some people. It's not for me. I'm with you. That's not comforting at all. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think some people who believe that it gives them motivation to make what they can of, of their life now. And I think that's what a lot of Christians have been criticized for when they have this vision of, well, I'm going to, I'm going to heaven someday. So I'm just going to kind of hunker down and wait until that mm -hmm. happens. Um, and, and I, yeah, I mean, if this, if this was all that you thought you had, perhaps it would be motivating to make something of it. Um, that's why I feel like that, that vision of just waiting until we say go to heaven is so wrong because I mean, obviously I believe that what we do here matters <laughs> and somehow continues on beyond death. I don't obviously don't know how that works, but. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think that I always, you know, kind of, I've talked with my, my wife about this, but you know, I fully expect to have the scars from my club foot surgeries and that kind of stuff in heaven. Mm -hmm. Like I fully, I fully expect that to be a part even of kind of my resurrected body in the same way that Jesus had the scars of, you know, he, he's got a resurrection body. So it's different. And like, sometimes like the, the disciples didn't necessarily like recognize him. And so there's something different about Jesus's resurrected body, but there's also something that's familiar or has continuity with what he, the body that he had on earth and what he went through on earth and everything else like that. So it's, it's kind of a both end that everything's redeemed, but also what you, what happens here matters. It really matters. And it's going to carry on to eternity and, and that kind of stuff. And I, I agree with you. I think that like, um, you can just be like, Oh, I'm just gonna, you know, kind of act like this life doesn't really matter. And really heaven's all that really matters and that kind of stuff. And it's kind of, you know, at the same time, if you, if you remove that kind of, that larger frame, then the, well, I'm going to make the most of my life here on earth. My question then is, what does that mean? Right? If, it, if it's all going to fade yeah. out of existence, like when you say you're going to make the most of your life, I agree with you. You should do that. What do you mean by it? Mm -hmm. uh, like, how do you, how do you come to a decision on, well, what would that even look like? Um, because again, everything you do is just going to stop. <laughs> everything is going away mm -hmm. so like when you say make the most of it I'm not even really sure what you mean unless you have that kind of eternal frame and the resurrection alongside of it it seems to me that they go I need the whole package to make sense of this otherwise I'm not I'm, I'm kind of lost mm -hmm. 
Yeah, in that um, in that frame of you know, if there is nothingness after this, um, the uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a neat. Eh, Sorry, it just happens when I talk about, I just have to talk about C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a neat essay. I can't remember if he like deliver it, delivered it verbally first and then it, it was transcribed, but there's one that he did called Is Theology Poetry? And in that, he talks about how enthralling and how, um, I don't know if noble is the right word, but it's just like, some of the greatest uh, poetry that you can imagine the the secular story of the ultimate winding down of the universe and the the evolutionary story of how against all odds man rose up you know human consciousness rose up out of the muck um, and reached its towering heights and ultimately will reach whatever its its highest level of evolution is and then eventually it will fade back into nothing and the entire universe will burn out and everything will die and come to a, you know, the curtain will close. And that's just this amazing, you know, uh, tragedy, but still incredible drama. And um, that even if you're looking at it in that frame, right, you make the most of your life. And some people might say, well, yeah. And so, uh, and I know that there have been ancient traditions that have looked at it this way, where it's like, whatever lives on in the people who come after you of, of the stories that are told of you or your legend or whatever, you know, that's the idea of, of making the most of your life and it can mm -hmm. live on into perpetuity. Well, in that frame where the curtain ultimately closes, well, then that, you know, what's what's the point it's all going to come to an end eventually the most of your life is going to amount to nothing mm -hmm. yeah <clears throat> Have you ever read... sorry go ahead no no I was gonna go ahead yeah <laughs> um the short story uh by tolkien it's called leaf by niggle one of my favorite stories don't ever. you love that 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 story i love that story <laughs> That story to me gives me a really great picture of hope beyond. <laughs> Is there a cliff notes of that story for those of us, the, the one of us three that hasn't read it? <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead, Tripp, and I'll fill in if I remember. Yeah, so, I, so it's, 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 um, it's a story of this guy who um, sees someone, geez, um, <laughs> Uh, someone, I think someone's doing some work outside my house. Um, so uh, it's it's an interesting, it, it's a story about this guy who has this kind of annoying, I think it's a neighbor, um, like his neighbor guy who is kind of annoying and kind of useless and really can't hold down a job or anything else like that. But he's, he's like trying to, um, and he's trying to paint or, or draw this picture and he's like obsessed with doing it. And um, he can never get it life work to like his life this, work. This yes. painting. And, yeah. and he can just never get it right. You know, meanwhile, this the, the, the kind of the main protagonist of the story is, you know, constantly frustrated with this guy because he's constantly asking him for things and all this kind of stuff because his obsession with finishing this work um, is uh, is making him almost useless to everyone else around him and a constant burden to him and all those kind of things. Um, and then, and then essentially what happens is, you know, he, uh, you know, he dies, uh, the protagonist of the story. 
and I, I don't I don't really want to ruin it, but basically he goes through essentially kind of an evaluation by God um, uh, through some various characters after he dies. And, um, and what he realizes, you know, he gets on the other side and what he finds is that this, this picture, this tree, this leaf that this guy had been trying to paint, uh, is on the other side and it's beautiful and it's, it's real. And it's like, it is what the vision of this guy had and that kind of stuff. It was almost like he got redeemed through this death and heaven and that kind of stuff. And he was redeemed, uh, through kind of this, um, through essentially interacting with this guy struggling with this vision. The annoying neighbor, yeah. Yeah, the annoying neighbor. And he <laughs> got saved essentially through this. It kind of sanctified him and, and having to deal with it and everything else. It's a fantastic story. It is one of my favorites. Yeah. My favorite it's, scene is when is when he's he's dying and as you know, as he's poured himself into this painting that's that's hanging up um on a it's on he painted it on a canvas, I'm I'm pretty sure. And as he's as he's being hauled off he overhears the the neighbor they're like we need his roof there's a hole in his roof and so he's like we need something to patch this roof so they're like oh here i found something and they had ripped his painting that he had spent his entire life working on <laughs> to patch the hole in the annoying neighbor's roof it's just it's amazing <laughs> that sounds like a good one yeah yeah no, it's great. yeah it's great i just can't help but but have a some sort of a, a hope like that, that these things that I, I spend my, my days concerned about, and obviously my thoughts have to go through process of redemption and I get distracted with things that are completely useless, but that everything has that redemptive, um, you know, that will be seen um, at some point in some way. <laughs> yeah, it's that hope that yeah. nothing, nothing was for waste as well you know everything yeah. where we we look around us and we see that it just looks like it's it's been wasted or lost that every last thing will be uh will serve some greater good or greater purpose mm -hmm. yep are you guys ready for the next one sure. go for it does anybody want to take over reading nope you got uh, it yep <laughs> okay uh okay Unless you assume that some other means of communication, utterly different, yet doing the same work, would be immediately substituted. But then, what conceivable point could there be in severing the old ones? Is God a clown who whips away your bowl of soup one moment in order next moment to replace it with another bowl of the same soup? Even nature isn't such a clown as that. She never plays exactly the same tune twice. He and his wife must have had some really amazing communication. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like that there could definitely be forms of communication that would far surpass the the ones. I mean, not that, you know, my husband and I don't communicate <laughs> well, but it's like the the moments where we really feel like we're in tune with each other and communicating in that way are, I mean, they're rare. It's not like it happens every day. So, I mean, I, I feel like, <laughs> and, and I feel like we, we try to communicate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Must've been something. 
Oh, I just love the way that that um, third sentence starts. Is God a clown? <laughs> it's just a funny image. Yeah, I, I wonder, because he mentioned it earlier, um, is that, you know, he's having a hard time um, idealizing her also. Um, and I wonder if some of that is going on too, like regarding the communication. Um, that, you know, now that she's got, like he has a hard time um, kind of, boiling her down to something that's like a useful fiction for him um and he talks about with his kids and that kind of stuff and i wonder whether or not there, there's some of that going on a little bit where um regarding like regarding things like their communication and that kind of stuff and whatever i just wonder whether or not it, you know after the person's gone you don't want to think about the bad things um and and that kind of uh oh we lost you trip oh Jeez. No, nope, you're back. We can hear you now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I just wonder whether or not there's some of that going on um, regarding like the, the description of their communication and that kind of stuff. It, it's a little bit less, it, it's a little bit kind of retrospective in that you're, you're missing, you're missing the good, the good points of communication between husband and wife. Um, and, and that's what you're focusing on as opposed to like the average. Mm -hmm. um and so I, I wonder if a little bit of that's going on because I, I mean it would it would be easy to do that i think if you lost a spouse mm -hmm. to think back on those good moments those real points of connection that you're never going to have again right and that's been severed even if that's not normal yep well, yep another, i can see that another point that comes to mind on this is you know He's also probably just comparing the fact that he cannot communicate with her at all now, even if it's the worst communication that you ever had, you know, to, to have it, have the connection completely severed where I can't even say hello. And, you know, my wife says hello back to me, then, you know, I think he's just doing a, a little bit of a comparison there too. And then saying, you know, what, what <laughs> are we ever going to have connection where, you know, I'm not, is there ever going to be a time where I'm not isolated from her again? Cause now I am utterly isolated. You know, I have other people that I can, can have this connection with of communicating, but mm -hmm. it, it is just an, an utter, uh, in this moment impossibility. And I don't know if, uh, if imagining that we will ever get anything like it back is foolhardy or not. Mm -hmm. And it's also like, you're, you're not only lose, losing, the communication with that person but you're using a you're losing a part of your own communication to others as well because you know sometimes in a relationship there's only a part of me that's drawn out by that other person and you know my husband and I can go back and forth on things and and I can say something and then and then he can he can say it and can almost communicate it better than I've been able to to do it so it's it's very dynamic in that you're you know, that part of if you if you believe, you know, that <laughs> a marriage is is one flesh, I think it's a very it's a very literal ripping part of your yourself. Oh, you know, part of yourself does die with that person. <clears throat> yeah, I wonder. I mean, uh, so I mean, uh, Jeff, you've been you you're divorced, right? Yep. Um, so I wonder about that. I've heard from other uh, from people that have been 
divorced and talked about it, that it is kind of like having a part of you die a little bit because you, you become so close with someone that like, it's not just the communication between you or the communication with other people. It's just like the everyday things that you have to deal with in life that the, mm. you kind of like farm off a good portion of it to the other person. Like there's a certain <laughs> amount of thinking about life that, and things that you just have to do and all this kind of stuff that the other person just kind of takes care of. Like there's some things about me and my family and everything else that my wife just handles. And I don't think about it. It doesn't <laughs> even like enter my consciousness unless she brings it up and like vice versa. And so like, if like, I'm just thinking about like my kid's school and all the things that have to happen, like various like random little things like that. And like, if some, if we like, if something happened and she was no longer there, I would feel like it's not just like my, my communication with her would be severed, but almost like my communication with the entire world. Like I, I would almost feel like there's, there's this unknown part of the world now that I've got to like figure out and navigate and do all these kind of things with that. I'm not sure how to do because I've never really done it. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, in my, you know, my, uh, my ex-wife fortunately did not actually die. So, you know, we still get to, (laughs) we co-parent and have been co-parenting the kids very successfully for several years now. So there was, there was fortunately no loss of that, right? It could always be if, if I were alone with the kids and something was going on that I just did not know how to handle, we, we were able to, and have been able to have a very amicable relationship where I could just call and say, Hey, here's what's going on. (laughs) Help. I don't know what to do here. Um, But uh, from the, the similarity to death standpoint, you know, uh, there are different emotional aspects where I have, um, I've expressed this before to people when I've talked about it. Um, it certainly is like, uh, an amputation in, in many ways where there are just things, um, emotionally or in my heart that, uh, I just didn't have access to anymore. Um, so, I think, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like a, um, in, in some cases for a long time, it was like a limb was missing. Um, and so I don't know how that necessarily connects to death itself, but there was something and probably is something that is just gone, um, that I no longer have access to anymore. And there's just, um, you know, there's a new normal that I had to get used to from uh, an emotional standpoint. And there was a lot of um, work that I had to do with that and understanding that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm remarried now. So there was a lot of eyes wide open understanding, hey, here's, <laughs> here's what you're getting. You know, you're getting this, this broken part of me that, you know, I'm very thankful that you want to move forward with and, and work with me on. But it's something that we, you know, just have to be aware of and, and understand, you know, that I'm not, I'm not being difficult for difficulty's sake. It's I cannot operate in this arena because that part of me has been severed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And it would make sense that, you know, uh, that someone that had a spouse die, fortunately, that didn't happen to you would experience some of those. Like, it feels like it would be some similar things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some different hurt um, that you would experience and that kind of stuff. But like, it's still, 
I feel I still feel like it 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 must feel like an amputation, like a mm-hmm. really large part of you just got like just is not coming back, right? Mm-hmm. That that communication is severed. It's not you're never getting it again. Yeah. Um in the same way. Well then my my divorce also um there was certainly uh something that died and that was the potential uh future of that marriage moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that might sound like a small thing when you put it that way. But for me in particular, um, I had, uh, for, for various reasons, both um, church and spiritually related, but also family related, I had fallen into a trap of idolizing marriage itself. And so to have that idol die um, because it had so you know sunk its hooks into my heart was... It, I died with that idol uh, and had to had to come out of that. Um, in a certain sense, it was a it was a figurative death and resurrection that I had to go through in order to to move forward in life. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, how you're describing it is kind of how Peterson describes it. Whenever you know he's talking about people that you know, if you found out that your spouse is cheating on you and that kind of stuff, you know, right. everyone like you ask people like, "Are you happy in your marriage?" and people raise their hand, and and then you know you ask them uh, if your spouse is cheating on you, would you want to know? And those same people <laughs> raise their hands, and you're like, "Wait, but you're happy. Why would you want to know that?" And he's like, and he's like, "Because what happens is exactly what you're." what you're describing is that, you know, it's not just, it's not just, you know, uh, you know, your present that's affected. It's the possibility of the future that's no longer going to happen. And then also a reinterpretation of your past, yep. right? Like how much of an idiot was I all along this way to get to this point and yep. then looking forward. And so it's like the whole continuum just goes away uh, in some sense. Yeah. And Anyway, I could see also someone like, again, like the, to relate it back to Lewis, you know, and I think maybe some of the, some of the problems that he talks about here and then also in the problem of pain is, you know, we shouldn't wonder about some of the suffering and that kind of stuff unless we thought that we had an assurance from a good God who loved us. And so I think that what you're seeing here with a lot with Lewis is him struggling with exactly that kind of like, He's struggling with whether or not the whole thing disintegrates, right? Because he's got this good God that loves us and all those kind of things that he thinks has assurance that, you know, he's with you and he wants the best for you and all this kind of stuff. And he's saying, well, was that all a lie? Is God this clown that's just going to like rip these things away from me and all this kind of stuff? And so I almost wonder whether or not that's, that it's a similar feeling that he's going through. He'd be like, it's almost like he's, it's a betrayal by God not his spouse, but God, and therefore my past, my present, my future, what am I going to do with this? Mm-hmm. Um, I've struggled with wondering what the purpose, you know, as, as someone who believes that, that there will be a bodily resurrection um, and knows that marriage is a, is an, you know, is the, it's really, I mean, marriage and family is the center of my life here on earth. There's no other relationships that are more important, and yet imagining what that what the purpose of that will be in a in a resurrected life in that sense, like what <laughs> I mean, if we're not married, if we're not like what 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 will come of that? Like it, it seems something too substantial to just be 
like, like your friend, you know, like your husband will be like someone else. But then, but then again, you know, people go through divorce. So they have several marriages, people lose spouses and they're married again. So if you have two or three or four, you know, like. It, <laughs> yeah. Well that, that, yeah. And that's where I, I almost think that, uh, so there's only, I mean, there's only that one kind of part of the Bible that really talks about there not right. being marriage in heaven. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And it was brought up by the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were a sect that did not believe in the resurrection. And they were trying to demonstrate kind of the absurdity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why they brought up the whole marriage question. And I, often I wonder whenever I read that text, especially, you know, in, in like the, the Greek and original language, I wonder whether or not Jesus was, I, I wonder whether or not we're reading a little bit too much into it. I'm not totally convinced that there's not going to be marriage in heaven. I almost feel like Jesus was just kind of like, that's a stupid question. Go away. Um, <laughs> like I, I almost get that feeling whenever I read it, that Jesus is like, yeah, this is such a dumb question. Can you just leave me alone about this? Um, and, and I'm not totally convinced that that's what that means as much. Um, and this is, this has been a debate about those texts because that is literally the only part of the Bible that suggests anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. Is Jesus just saying it? And, you know, obviously Jesus knows more, um, so maybe, um, but I almost feel like he was just being dismissive of the Sadducees, that like, <laughs> almost like you don't even know what marriage is, go away, right? Marriage is not this legal contract that you think it is, um, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And I almost feel like that's kind of what he was doing. That's that's my hunch. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's kind of my hunch about it. Like, I agree with you. I think it's too... I think it's a it's too fundamental for me to just take that at face value and say it's it, it's not going to be a thing. You say um, you saying Jesus saying you guys just have no idea what marriage even is. It's just having this, <laughs> this funny thought run through my mind, which is Jesus is like, okay, you guys want to know? You're all going to be married to me, and so you're going to be married <laughs> to each other too. There will be marriage. Trust me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right. But Polygamy. I, yeah. Well, I still, but I still, I still wonder though about the, you know, multiple marriages. I mean, or maybe it's that we have that sort we're able to somehow have that sort of relationship with everyone. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like, I mean, thinking in my mortal mind right now, it doesn't seem like that's possible, but. <laughs> yeah. I don't that know. Doesn't, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know either. I, I mean, multiple <laughs> marriages. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 know, I, I mean, and that was the Sadducees point, right? We're like, well, I got you in a conundrum here with, uh-huh. you know, and I think that's almost like Jesus like, Jesus, I, I can't even explain to you people. Go away. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know what? The easiest answer is there's no, there's not going to be any marriage. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. This will be the easiest way you dumb people will understand. You're, <laughs> you're trying to get <laughs> me to say there's not going to be any resurrection. I'm going to turn right. it on its head. There's not going to be any marriage. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, got the next one uh, queued up. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it is hard to have patience with people who say there is no death or death doesn't matter. There is death, and whatever is matters, and whatever happens has consequences, and it and they are irrevocable and irreversible. You might as well say that birth doesn't matter. I look up at the night sky. Is anything more certain than that in all those vast times and spaces? If I were allowed to search them, I should find, 
Oh gosh, I just lost my place. Sorry. <laughs> this is why Job needs to read. <laughs> uh, is anything more certain than that in all those vast times and spaces, if I were allowed to search them, I should nowhere find her face, her voice, her touch? She died. She is dead. Is the word so difficult to learn? <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is the one where it's just like, yeah, these are these are the things that people were saying to him. It's just like, oh, this just makes me anytime that somebody is dealing with death, it's just like the less mm -hmm. I say, the better. You know what? I'm just here to be with you. I don't want to bring any resurrection in your space right now. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. want to, yeah, I want to let you process how you need to process. And I'm just going to, I'm going to leave you alone in that way, but I'm going to be here with you as you need me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just cringe. I've, I've been in, in and around Christians in funeral settings and you always overhear the people trying to console the person who's lost a loved one with, well, you know, they're in a better place and they're dancing with Jesus. And I just, Oh, <laughs> I mean, it, again, it's not that I, I don't have a hope for that, but it's just not, it doesn't seem like the right thing to say at the time. Yeah, I, I wish I wish I had a way of threading that needle, right? Of talking mm -hmm. about like the hope of the resurrection and all that kind of stuff, while also not diminishing the pain and suffering, kind of the realness of what just happened. Right. You know, yep. and I feel like, you know, it's too easy for Christians to seem trite by focusing on uh, the former, like the hope and heaven and all those kind of things, and like diminish what just happened. Um, you know, it, but it's, yeah, it's hard to thread that needle, um, maybe impossible to thread that needle, um, to really get it, to get it right, because you do want to acknowledge, I mean, that, that is part of the, see, that's part of the gospel, though, isn't it, that, that this is bad, mm -hmm. right, that w what is going on here is this suffering is actually bad, this is not the way it's supposed to be, that's why we need the gospel. Um, and so by making it trite and acting as if it doesn't matter and we shouldn't care, we shouldn't really kind of almost dwell in the suffering whenever that happens. It, it seems like we're also betraying the gospel in some sense mm -hmm. to me. Hmm. I've also thought a lot about, I, I just really cannot stand the way that the way that funerals are, scripted and like the way we deal with death in that we do try and make it as bearable as possible and you know we <laughs> it's like some people don't don't even view the body but when the when the body is viewed it's you know it's made just looks fake looks waxy but it, you know there's no sign of death it's um, made acceptable or presentable in some yes, way yeah it's tamed mm. and most cultures they're faced with the, the the reality of death 
every day. I mean, in, I mean, even in, you know, rural Africa, like people die all the time and they're, you know, they're physically dealing with the bodies themselves. And, and I just wonder what that, what that does to us to remove us from the tragedy that death really is. Um, I was reading a book about um, like ancient funeral services and liturgies and how the, the church used to, they used to, the church itself would go dig the holes for the, mm-hmm. for the bodies. Um, and they would spend all night, like overnight digging the grave mm-hmm. and quite, and, and then the whole, like the, the rituals that went along with death, they did drag on for a long time. And it was almost like, because they're, because words don't really help in that time, but doing something does like there's this very scripted things of like this is what you do now this is what you do next i mean even even the dressing in black and all of these things had very significant um ways of supposedly helping people get through that process but then also making you aware of the the tragedy and the unnaturalness of death so i told my husband i said if i die you're digging my hole And don't put makeup on me. I want to look as awful as the day that I die. I want to look like death. (laughs) Just bring me out on the bed, you know. (laughs) But they used to lay the body on a, you know, just exposed on a platform, like in the in the church. You know, it's just how different it is now. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like morbid. We don't want to experience that. We don't want to see it. But maybe we. I think that's why. Closed, oh yeah, I, I think, well, I think that's even why closed caskets, you know, have become way more prevalent than mm-hmm. the open casket thing. Like even, you know, the makeup and everything else, there is something unsettling about seeing a dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, like even if it's, even if it's like, you know, a little bit unnatural looking and, and not quite as dead as, you know, what we, what it should look like. Um, there is something unsettling about it. And uh, at least being, I mean, I grew up in the South, so they were way more common. Um, but I've never seen one since I've moved out here to Seattle. Um, none of the funerals that I've been to, they don't, it's all closed caskets, all, if that, if they even have, um, those, and it's not like a, you know, um, cremation or something like that, where you, you almost like even skip that part <laughs> that there was a body at all. Um, but I wonder if that's why we do it just to, to, to ignore the fact, um, that there was, that, the that an actual death happened um and we can kind of we can have a celebration of life instead of you know a funeral <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yep. and this is one of the things that i talked about with with paul whenever we had a chat um was i i just i hate that i hate the celebration of life thing um <laughs> just generally i just hate it I, I can't stand it whenever i go to a funeral and it's like supposed to be a happy thing mm-hmm. um yeah it just it really doesn't resonate with me i like i'm I'm always a little bit angry during it where I'm just like, no, this is not right. This is not, this is not how it should be. And we should be talking about that. Mm. I feel like. Mm -hmm. I had like seven different thoughts and I've forgotten them all. So they're probably (laughs) not worth saying. (laughs) Well, I have an announcement to make. Oh boy. We are at the, uh, final paragraph of chapter one we are on the precipice (laughs) (laughs) it's impressive 
Uh, I would say, what well, we've got about maybe 15 more minutes if we want to keep this at an hour. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I, have, I have plenty of time, so. Okay. Over. I'll keep going for as long as I can. I don't have a super hard stop for a little while, but if any of us needs to go. We'll see, we'll see when my four-year-old wakes up. I don't know. <laughs> or, when, or if we have a guest barge in. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> we can happen to. <laughs> uh, okay. I have no photograph of her that's any good. I cannot even see her face distinctly in my imagination. Yet the odd face of some stranger seen in a crowd this morning may come before me in vivid perfection the moment I close my eyes tonight. No doubt the explanation is simple enough. We have seen the faces of those we know best so variously, from so many angles, in so many lights, with so many expressions, waking, sleeping, laughing, crying, eating, talking, thinking, that all the impressions crowd into our memory together and cancel out into a mere blur. But her voice is still vivid, the remembered voice. That can turn me at any moment to a whimpering child. Sometimes I wonder if, well, and I, <laughs> I say this, I say this from coming from an interesting place because I've done professional photography, but I've also had my, just my, my doubts for what it, what its purpose is. Um, just because it is, in, in some ways people would say, well, that's as, that's as realistic as you can get. It's, you know, it's a picture of someone. It's a real picture, whatever that means. But, okay, so I'll give an example or even video, video, like video clips. Um, I talked, I think, in maybe our first Grief Observed conversation um, about my sister's niece who is a toddler and is now just in a vegetative state um, and she's still here. She's still alive. And yet her parents um, really cling to what they call, what they say is, is her via photos of before she was in that state. Mm. And so I just, you know, sometimes I just wonder like, is that a problem? <laughs> You know, because it, which one is more her? Is it that photo or that video clip of her running around or is it the, the person that's laying there right in front of you? And does that do us, does that do us much good to dwell on those things? Um, what do you think about that? <laughs> How do you think you're gonna remember your parents? You know, like, like say, they, say they, they do like, you know, they don't, they don't die young and they, you know, they, they live a, a long life. And, you know, I saw my, my, I mean, my, my granddad's still alive and he's in his nineties, so it won't be long for him. Um, but it's my granddad. And so he's always been kind of old from my perspective and that kind of thing. Um, but like your parents, like say they live to that kind of age and they start to decline to the point that they, they barely remember 
you know, yep. uh, things and they're, they're tired all the time. And, you know, all the, like they're, they're shadow in some sense of who they were. Yeah. How will you remember them? Like after, like, you know, after they pass away, like what will, will it be that end state that you remember as being most them or will it be like a, another state where they were more like lucid and present and all those kind of things? Like, yeah, what, I mean, what do you think? How would, I think we would say we want, everyone would say they want to remember the times before. I mean, even my, my husband's grandfather, who I didn't meet until right after we were married, had already started to decline with dementia. And I always heard, I wish you'd known him before, you know, when he was, right. when he was himself. And yet, is that life any less valuable? Is he any less himself to, to God? You know, I mean, so again, I don't have answers to these questions, but it's something to think about. I think um, that like the example that you started off with, Sarah, um, I, think that, I think that both are the child. Um, the ones, the, the aspects of the child that they remember as they're looking in the pictures, but also the her that is here and now, that these are different aspects of the same being. Mm -hmm. um, I had a couple of different thoughts. I'll go to the more particular first and then jump out to the general and hopefully one of them will make sense, if not both. <laughs> um, the particular reminds me of my grandfather who I, who died when I was in my early twenties. So it's been a while now. Um, I'm 74 years old, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you look great. <laughs> thanks. I work out. This is an elliptical behind me. So every day hopping on the elliptical. Just send me some of that skin cream. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the, the points that I feel like I connect with most, uh, well, my grandfather, um, he died of, um, he, he had, he had cancer. Um, I want to say it was colon cancer. I feel horrible for not remembering exactly, but I was young and dumb at the time. Now I'm older and dumb, but he, he uh, I do recall, you know, the time that he spent in the hospital and he was, he was fading away, you know, for um, a couple, it seems like a couple weeks to me in my memory. Um, I don't know exactly how long the time was, but I, I had more of a connection with my grandfather that I remember from my youth who was healthy and that I could interact with. Um, but he was no less him in his state where I could not interact with him anymore there in the hospital, you know, um, he started becoming more delusional toward the end and thinking he was someplace else that he wasn't actually at there in the moment. But I think again, two different versions of him, I guess, to put it in a certain, in a certain light, but both still very much him. Um, so that's a particular example that I can think of. The more general example that came to mind as we're talking about this is, you know, even, even us at our most lucid, you know, right now we're, we're, very much able to communicate with one another in this conversation. It's like, yeah, I talked to Trip, I talked to Sarah. I know, you know, as much as I know of you guys that I'm dealing with and interacting with. Um, I feel like even at, at our best or our peak or our prime presentation of ourselves to others, 
it's still only one facet of what we actually are, right? We are the image of God in, in Judeo-Christian terms, and you know that's what I take to be reality, but we are the image of the infinite, right? And there is so much more to us that we don't even know about. Um, there's something on the other side, like this is just a tiny little tip of the iceberg that's, that's piercing through uh, of what we see of each other. And so there's just, there's so much more to us. And I can't, I have so many online and offline conversations now. I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but um, we would be, we would be uh, awestruck and terrified if we could see the fullness of ourselves right now um, in the reality of, of, of what we are. And so to ask, you know, that question of which, which is more real, what we're remembering that's captured in the photograph, um, what we see right now of somebody who is in maybe a vegetative state um, or somebody who's declining and having dementia in, in old age. Um, I think that these are all different aspects of, of who we are and, and the bigger reality is there's so much more to us than, than we could even, than we could even know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think my main, my main question would be, does, if you have a loved one in that sort of state, does dwelling on their former self rob you of the self that you could be knowing now? Yeah, I, I, I think so. No judgment for anybody who does. It's a very hard mm -hmm. thing not to do, but I think. I, I, I think guess, it would be extremely difficult. I'm not saying that, yeah. you know, at all, like this would be an easy thing. No, no. And of course I'm talking about it as an outsider, not the one who's actually going through that. Right. It's kind of, it's kind of like but, the, it's kind of like the resurrection discussion. You know, I feel like <laughs> if I could separate somebody who's in the moment or if there's like, Oh, I would never say this to you in right. the moment. Yeah. But I think the bigger reality is the person that you love and that you're dwelling on is still there, um, is still there in totality, in reality, in existence, is still exists, is still there. And, you know, uh, dwelling on the one that I knew better, that I could connect with better, or seemed more alive or more themselves to me, um, is not gone. Um, there is there is another aspect of this being though that is to be known in this moment right now i guess and you know i'm speaking mm -hmm. as a complete novice i might if uh, god forbid i were ever to go through that you know i'd probably be writing a journal like lewis is writing talking about how i don't believe that any of that i don't know if any of that <laughs> is true it certainly yeah. doesn't feel that way now that i'm thrown into it you know i'll look back on this conversation that we're having and say he was such an idiot i was such an idiot back then <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if it's it's one of those things where you can go too far in either direction. Like you can, um, you can go too far in the yeah dwelling on the past and the to the point that the person in front of you no longer matters. Um, like the, the thing, uh, you know. Um, but then also you could you could see that like having a reminder that the person in front of you is actually more than they seem could also be helpful. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so like that, that picture of a past them where they were demonstrating that they're more than just what I'm seeing right now could be helpful. 
but you could go too far with it, I think, too, to the point where the person that is in front of me isn't the same person that was in the past. And the person in the past was more real in some ways than the person sitting in front of me. Okay. And so I feel like you could, you could, it's probably like one of those pendulums where you can go too far in either direction. Mm. Um, but I could see that like if, if that's happened, that like remembering the, the potential that this person has, like the, the vibe, you know, kind of vitality and all that kind of stuff, like that reminder could be helpful to someone um, to, to treat them with dignity and all those kind of things. Cause it's not, this is not just a vegetable I'm looking at this is a person okay. and here's the proof. Right. Um, I, I could see that being helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could probably go, you could go too far with it and, and reduce the person now and be like that person, that person that was there in the past no longer exists. Right. Um, and, and whatever is in front of me is not that person. Um, I think is the, is the, the opposite end of the pendulum that you could go with it. Yeah. It's just interesting the language that we use to talk about someone in that sort of state. I mean, we say they're not here. They're not here anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so like, what are we, what are we saying a person a person is? I think Paul has talked about, hasn't he talked about writing a book on like what I've heard him mention this before, like what, who, he, what is me or something like that. Because mm. it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I have a friend that just messaged me. I've been working on this guy for years, um, kind of. Uh, he worked with me at Microsoft for a long time, um, another engineer, and just been dropping hints about random things and that kind of stuff. Never, like, outright evangelizing to him or anything. That's not really my – it's not uh, It's not really what I'm super comfortable with. But just dropping hints on things. And he just messaged me out of the blue um, asking me about – my faith because he knows I'm a Christian and that kind of stuff. And so getting talked to him and what he's, what's happened is in the last couple of years, um, I think two years ago, his dad died of cancer. Um, and he just had a kid about a year and a half ago, something like that. So his dad died just before he had um, his kid. And so now he's having kind of a crisis with his own mortality um, and some of those same questions, like, what am I? Uh, it, it, it terrifies me that my dad faded out of existence. And like, now I have a kid, am I going to do the same thing to him? Um, kind of thing. And so he has all these questions, but I think that's a, that's a natural, I think that people need to trust their instincts more and in thinking that that's an important question to ask. Okay. Um, I think we all kind of ignore it. Uh, for a long time. I mean, maybe Christians don't ignore it quite as much, but I think that like the average, like kind of uh, secular, like none kind of, they, they kind of ignore this question of what am I, what's going to happen? Like, you know, when I swim this river and anything else like that, if, if I die, what actually, what am I really? What is a person? Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if, you know, like those kind of questions, I think they never answer. And so I, I was just in talking, I was like, I was like, honestly, man, I don't think you have to worry about you fading out of existence because I don't think you're the kind of thing that can. I don't think that's what you are. <laughs> but you need to you need to start asking some of those questions and really thinking about it. Um, but I, I think that, I think that's a question that we could ask people more that maybe we're not doing um, as Christians. Uh, it's just getting them to think more about like, what are you really? Um, 
you know, is, is that kid that's, that's laying there or, you know, the person that's in a coma, like, is that a person? What's going on? Um, did that person fade from existence? No longer there. What does it even mean? I think these are good questions that people should ask more of. And I also wonder too, if, you know, if in, in a life to come, say something like time is totally different or non-existent, you know, it could be that all of those moments are condensed into a being that contains all that was and is and is to come. It's hard to wrap your mind around it because we can't comprehend a world without time, but um, that's something I've thought about too. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that, I don't know if there's, especially if we have bodies, I don't know if there's a way to get around the time, like there's not going to be time. I just think that time won't mean anything or it won't mean as much as it does now. You know, like we have a beginning and we have a body and we do things and we have a new body and, you know, and the new heaven and earth and we'll do things. So I don't know how any way you got around that there's not time, but I just think it won't mean the same thing to us. Um, that it does then and i think that i think that like those kind of like moments won't I, yeah i i i think i see what you're saying like there will be a very different perspective on the moments i think mm-hmm. um whenever you're kind of outside of this body of death um that we're in now where the time is like a ticking clock you know right. that, that's like it's, it's counting down um mm-hmm. or i'm experiencing suffering and i'm just waiting to get out of it and that kind of stuff and so like I think yeah I think that like we'll have a very different perspective on what that means it will it'll be more like you know you know Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall where you don't even know how much time they spent there really it doesn't really say like how much it's almost like it doesn't matter what does it matter it doesn't uh uh yeah no I think you're right I think that you will have a very different perspective on it for sure I, I hesitate to even try to talk about this because it's it's at the limit of my uh, memory. But there's this there's this concept, um, and I can't remember which discipline of science it is. But I read about it in a book um, called The Order of Time by Carlo Rivelli. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. If either of you have ever heard of that book, mm-hmm. um, but if I remember right, one of the things that he talks about is this idea that if we were capable of seeing everything, like everything in its minute detail of all that's in existence, uh, time itself would no longer be perceivable. Um, It's almost as if it's a filter that we see existence through. And it's almost like the concept of the eternal now, right? If you were able to see every single, Thing or every aspect and I think the example that he used in his book was like a a cup of either coffee or tea or something like that that gets warmed up and then cools down and it takes time for those two processes to happen but if you could see everything that was there in that cup um, the heating up and the cooling down would all be at the same point there wouldn't be like a 
oh, we have to go through this sequence of events or the sequence of time for these things to happen. And um, at the very end of The Great Divorce, um, Lewis kind of alludes to that concept of saying all moments are now. All of these things that look like choices to you that are happening, it's, it's all just, etern- it's, the, it's this eternal moment, this eternal now, where that is, that is what is. All of these things that we call choices and decisions that we made, it just is. There's not this sequence of, of this causal chain or anything like that. It's just, no, you're, if you look at it from the big picture, full perspective, it's all that ever is, was, will be. It's just all one thing. I think that's the problem with whenever we, I always had this, you know, I mean, theologians have been arguing about this for a long time, is that what's the purpose of prayer? Um, you know, like, do we change God's mind um, uh, when we pray? And because it, it has some, like, interesting implications, because then you're almost subjecting God to a sequence of events before he, like, does something. But if God's outside of space and time and all those kind of things, then how could you... How could he, like, how could that happen, right? Because in point A, God's going to do this, and then point B, you pray, and then point C, he does something else. You're almost objecting into a kind of time and sequence of events, which mm-hmm. seems absurd because this is God. Um, <laughs> and so that's kind of how I, I think uh, I think that um, that's what you're describing is kind of how I look at, like, you know, God's actions in the world. It's almost like that eternal now where he's, like, always kind of acting. It's like, it's not, like, he's not... He's not doing this weird, you know, I'm waiting for you to do something and then I'm going to do this and all this kind of stuff. You're like, that That seems kind of absurd um, when you're talking about God. So, yeah, I don't, I'll have to pick up that book. That sounds interesting. But that, that's kind of how I think about God's action. It's just like, it's an eternal now with him. It's not a, he's not, he's not waiting around for me to do the right thing for him to do stuff. Yeah. Well, and it makes me think of, isn't it, is it in Revelation where Christ is referred to the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth or mm-hmm. something like that? Mm-hmm. So it's like, he's always been slain. What does, you know, that's, <laughs> how does that uh, figure? <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's something that Lewis talks about in the problem of pain that connects with this a little bit that I just thought was incredible. He, and he says, I'm just supposing this. I'm not claiming that it's true, but it's probably worth thinking about. And um, Tripp, you'll be familiar with this. I don't know, Sarah, if you've read The Problem of Pain or not, but I haven't. Um, he, says, he says, Peter denying Jesus three times, right? Um, what if what, heaven, heaven may be a place uh, that is an acquired taste? Because what if heaven is the place where all your sins are on full display for all of eternity? And the <laughs> glory of God is God's ability to forgive all of your sins for eternity. So everybody sees everything all the time. And, and one of Lewis's witticisms in that point that he was making is heaven isn't for everybody for, because it's too public of a place. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I think I, I strongly resonate with what the, the picture that Lewis is painting there, at least, even if it's not exactly literal, because I think that, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, I think about the thief on the cross, right? That at the end of it, he, you know, he looks over, he's got lived this like horrible life, ostensibly, right? He's on, he's on the cross for a reason, uh, unlike Jesus. 
And so, um, you know, he, he looks over and, you know, he says, remember me. And he says, well, this day I'll be with you in paradise. Like that moment redeems all the bad stuff in the guy's life, right? Like that moment of faith and trust in Jesus redeemed everything. And so it's not like it's too late for him. It's, it's actually like redeeming all of it. And so all of, even the bad things get redeemed and now are in some ways glory to God. And so like, that's where, you know, those things being kind of on display in heaven makes a lot of sense to me because that is part of the glory of God is him redeeming even those things, even all those bad things. And now it's a glorious thing that all these bad things that I've done have been redeemed. Um, and we shouldn't be ashamed of them because actually it's, it's a, to the glory of God that that happened. Um, and so it's not like, oh, it's unfortunate that those things are like, no, actually the whole, the whole story, your entire story has now a redemptive aspect to it. The whole thing, not just the end. Um, and so I really like that picture of Lewis that he gives of, you know, your sins actually being on display in heaven in some sense, because you're like, yeah, it might be awkward. But then again, like <laughs> it is, it is the story God's telling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story he's telling is that even your sin will be used to his glory. Mm. Um, oh, we lost your audio again. Uh-oh. Nope. Still gone. Oh, there you go. I think we heard you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're yeah. good. Okay. Sorry. I think my AirPods are running out of battery. So <laughs> um, I, I listened to the Verveke Andrew Clay conversation earlier, and I think my my earpods are are suffering for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, you know, I was, yeah, I don't know, where, I know where you guys lost me, but uh, but yeah, I love that picture actually because like you want your whole story to be redeemed, not just the end. Yeah. Um. So I, I love that picture actually. Well, it reminds me. We've talked about this before, but the in the Great Divorce, the the lust lizard that gets transformed into the horse that he rides off on. Like, mm-hmm. right. think of that. Yeah, yeah. I was watching. <laughs> I was watching my conversation with Michael last night, actually, uh, where I talked about that, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would like for my mistake in that video to be redeemed. I said it was a Pegasus. It was just a horse. <laughs> what? <laughs> but but probably. as glorious as a pegasus would be it seems that the description that he gives is almost like the horse is flying when he rides off so Uh, all right i wouldn't say it's i wouldn't say it's a a bad description (laughs) at all or untrue (laughs) i was i was getting my lewis fiction confused because a pegasus does show up in um the magician's nephew so (laughs) well I was about to say, dare we tread in across the threshold into chapter two, but I'm looking at the clock and I'm, I'm going to have to uh, wind down here. And I, I don't know if Tripp's AirPods will co- cooperate for much longer anyway. <laughs> yeah, I better go. I hear, I hear an almost two-year-old squealing downstairs. <laughs> All right. Well, this was good as always. I really enjoyed talking to you guys. And uh, yep. until next time, we'll, uh, we'll call it a show. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.